Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Monica Johnson. And as you already know, every week on this show, I'll help you face life's challenges with evidence-based approaches, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. You're really in for a treat today because we have Dr. Rachel Toro. She's a mindfulness teacher, a clinical psychologist, and a research scientist specializing in self-criticism. And I'm super excited to have her here, particularly in regards to my background as a CBT and DBT therapist. So she's also the author of the Self-Talk Workout, and she's going to give us a few quick and dirty tips on how to tame your inner critic. So we're going to hop right in because we really want to get your expertise today. And I just wanted to start with just asking you, like, what is self-talk and why is it important? Thanks so much, Dr. Johnson. Thanks for having me here. My view of self-talk is how you treat yourself inside of your own mind. So it could be with words. And I know there's that word talk. That sort of means like it's words. But sometimes it's just if you treat yourself in a friendly way or if you're kind of like Ugh, and judgmental about yourself all day long, you know, did this wrong, did that wrong. I think we all have a style for how we relate to ourselves, our thoughts, and our feelings. And we might not have chosen it intentionally, but once it gets going, it affects our mood, our relationships, and just the way we interact with the world. So I think it's great to pay attention to it and also to remember you can change that style. Just because you have one style, you don't have to keep it forever. Absolutely. And so I know in your book, you call it the self-talk workout, and you really talk a lot about self-criticism. How do you define self-criticism? What are the causes? Like, how is that different from self-talk? So I would say self-criticism is when you're judging yourself in a negative way and a habitual way, that it's sort of your default of beating up on yourself. Oh, I should have done this differently. This is bad about me. And it can be pretty sneaky. You might not even know that you're doing it. And of course, some people ask, well, isn't self-criticism appropriate sometimes? Absolutely. There might be things about yourself that you do want to improve or a mistake that you made that you do want to repair. I think that's great to want to improve yourself or repair mistakes. I think that it's most constructive, though, if it's very specific like, okay, I hurt my friend's feelings, I need to apologize to them and make it right. But the sort of global assessment of yourself is unattractive, unworthy, disappointing. I think that's when um, we get into more trouble. And it seems like that harsh, consistent self-criticism is strongly linked to more mental health issues like anxiety and depression. And I'm wondering about the language of the self-criticism, because, you know, when I see patients, they're not saying, oh, I was mean to my friend. They're usually saying, hey, I'm a jerk. I'm a terrible person. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It gets kind of global. You speak to yourself in this way. You would never treat anybody else, a stranger, even somebody you don't like. You probably wouldn't be so mean to them. It's just kind of a habit. And also in therapy, I was really struck by how many patients were mean to themselves about having any kind of emotion. I shouldn't be anxious. I shouldn't be depressed. This means I'm terrible that I have this difficult feeling. And so it really uh, motivated me to think, wait a minute, how much is self-criticism affecting all of these different mental health issues? And what if we reduce self-criticism 
it seems like from the evidence, then other mental health issues also get better when you mm. reduce the self-criticism. And when you talk about the habit, you know, how does this habit get started? How is it kind of maintained? Yeah, great question. It looks like there are different pathways that influence negative self-talk or self-criticism, if you want to call it that. And um, one of them seems to be this human negativity bias. No matter even what our environment is, uh, we seem to pay more attention to the bad stuff, the stuff that could go wrong. And you could see how, from an evolutionary perspective, that could be really helpful to like be attuned to possible threats in the environment, to stay alive. Great. You just don't seem to pay as much attention to the positive or the neutral. But you can change that. You can consciously try to take in more of the good stuff, the stuff that is going well about you or about the world, not to ignore the stuff that really does need attention, but just to try to balance it out. So there's that negativity bias. And then there's the way we're treated by other people. So um, sometimes people assume that self-criticism is like something about them that they were born with. Oh, I've always just been a really self-critical person. And I'm like, okay, well, how do people treat you in your life growing up? You know, were your parents critical towards you or towards themselves? And then most people are like, oh, yeah. So we do sort of absorb that modeling if we're around other people who are mean to themselves or if we're around people who um, criticized us a lot or abused or bullied us emotionally. So. For instance, the research shows that um, experiencing self-criticism happens more in people who've experienced homophobia or racism, sort of others' negative view of them. So it's really easy to kind of absorb that. Um, and then I think that, you know, there's a lot of competition in our culture, right? Athletics, music, you know, beauty pageants. So we kind of are conditioned to like evaluate how good am I compared to this other person? Do I look okay compared to the most beautiful person ever or the models? And that sense of competition also seems to feed in to self-criticism, this evaluating myself all the time, how well do I measure up to other people? So there's just a lot of pathways that this view of yourself as inadequate, not good enough, not beautiful enough, can be conditioned. We're also conditioned about what emotions are acceptable and not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, you as a fellow mental health professional, I, I'm sure you can relate that unfortunately, we've created this world where it's like, you've got a mental health disorder, or you're perfectly fine. And there's no in between, like being a person is complicated and difficult. And it's normal to have, you know, be jealous or angry or upset when, you know, terrible things happen, or just feel frustrated sometimes, struggle with attention. It's a matter of degree. But just because you're having some sort of difficult experience doesn't mean that you're bad or messed up or that there's something wrong with you. This is just much, much of those feelings um, are normal. It doesn't mean that you won't benefit from seeing a therapist, for instance, or trying out a new way of relating to yourself, but it doesn't make you bad. It doesn't need to be more fodder for self-criticism. Well, and I definitely agree with you. I spend a lot of time talking to people about the concept of like within normal limits. So I'm saying like, to your point of like, it's not, all or none. <laughs> like, you know, I try to explain like everyone engages in some level of X. So like, you know, if the question is like, am I Dr. Johnson, have I ever experienced anxiety? The answer to that question is yes. <laughs> 
it's usually within normal limits of that. Like I can look and say, well, this is a normal situation that a person would feel anxiety in. And while the anxiety is uncomfortable for me, it's within normal limits. And so I think that once people understand that, that sometimes I feel like that helps with even things like self-criticism is when you kind of have that understanding of like, we all kind of fall on, you know, for us as psychologists, we would say bell curve of like, you know, experiences, but not everybody realizes that. And when you talk about in terms of society and competition and and kind of these extremes that we can push ourselves into, you can see how that also increases the conditions for there to be increased self-criticism. You know, in terms of like beauty, for instance, if I'm only seeing certain types of like beauty on a day-to-day basis, and that's what I'm using as my marker for things, that's only one type. There's a million different (laughs) types, but that's going to push me into an extreme of thinking that there's only one way to be beautiful. And then me not matching up to that might lead to more self-criticism. Yeah, I completely agree. There are so many kind of factors in our culture that uh, get inside our minds and they're not necessarily healthy habits. I also want to, you know, to reflect that if you do exceed the normal limits of a difficult feeling, like you're terribly depressed, then I still think that you can be kind to yourself about it. Like, oh, this is really intense. Better get some help with this. Not, oh, this is really intense and therefore I'm awful and terrible. Oh, absolutely. There's a quote that I love and I can't remember exactly who says it. I think it was a football coach or something. Um, To be clear, I don't get all of my quotes from football coaches. (laughs) It's just this particular one. Uh, the, The quote is something like, the problem is not that there are problems, but but that thinking that having a problem is a problem. I love it. That's great. I relate to that a lot. And I talk to patients about that all the time is that like, we all have our unique set of problems. And if we can radically accept that and have compassion for ourselves, then what we will discover is that these problems do not impede our ability to seek happiness. I love that. Absolutely. What a great attitude. So in addition to some of the things we've already been talking about, are there any like unique consequences to self-criticism that we should be aware of? Well, it seems to be a transdiagnostic risk factor for a bunch of stuff. So it's not just depression, but it makes anxiety worse, stress, trauma, Self-criticism is linked to higher levels of suicidal behavior, eating disorders, substance use, and you can kind of get into a bad cycle with it. Like, okay, I have this problem, so I'm bad. And then to escape that feeling, you need to do something destructive. So uh, I think that it's just really tough to change a mindset. I think the idea is out there. Sometimes people want to be nicer to themselves but how do you do it? And I I don't think it's just an epiphany. Like, oh yeah, I am really mean to myself because of all this messed up stuff from our culture, which can be totally true. But then how do I change the way I've been thinking for years or decades? That can seem really daunting. And so it is really daunting. And this is why we're so excited to have you here. 
Can you give us a few concrete strategies for managing self-criticism? Right. So I was really interested in this question and I kind of did a deep dive into the research. Some of the most uh, well-established ways take a little bit longer. That's doing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation. And you can read about those a little bit more um, in the book if you like. But in terms of getting started, like appetizers or stretches, there are two that I think are really neat techniques. The first one is called spot the success. This is an exercise where you would write down 10 things that you've done today that had some benefit for you, someone else, or the world, and there's no item too small. So if you texted your friend, that could go on the list. You took a vitamin, that could go on the list. Got out of bed, got dressed. You come up with 10 things and you're not evaluating how well did I do today? Did I do these things well? You're just acknowledging that I had successes today. These are actual actions that occurred. And I was going to say, like, I, that makes a lot of sense based off of something that you said earlier, where you talked about that the brain has a habit of, of notating negative experiences over positive experiences. And you've also talked about this habit, right? And so it makes sense that we would then want to train ourselves and train our brains to notate the positive things or the little wins that we get throughout a day. Absolutely. And it can seem silly at first, like people kind of struggle to give themselves credit for something they view as basic. But the idea is that we do a lot of this basic stuff and it doesn't register. Whereas knowing what we haven't accomplished, that's like really overwhelming. And people who write to-do lists often say, okay, crossing it off, that feels really good. That's my favorite part. So this exercise of spot the success is like a done list instead of a to-do list. Students in my classes at Seattle University often say it feels silly at first, but that they find this exercise really motivating, like because you're changing how you view yourself. You're viewing yourself as somebody who does get things done and who is an active person. So once you're in that zone, it's kind of easier to do more and people feel better about themselves and what they've done. So it's it's a really neat, relatively easy exercise. Well, and I'm wondering, and this is just out of my own curiosity, something that I say to patients a lot is, um, I'm just full of quotes today. <laughs> so I kind of say like, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And kind of the way that I conceptualize that is, if I were going to beat myself up over something, why wouldn't I just give myself a pat on the back <laughs> for the same thing? So even in what you said about like these basic things, I know people who beat themselves up over quote unquote, basic things. And so like, if you are willing to do that, why wouldn't you be willing to give yourself a pat on the back for those same types of basic things? Absolutely. I mean, it's reinforcement. If you want more of a behavior, you try to be kind about it. Unfortunately, there's this idea out there that self-criticism is motivating, like, like a harsh drill sergeant who gets results. But actually, the research demonstrates that self-encouragement and self-compassion are linked to more motivation and less procrastination. So we've got the wrong idea about the benefit of self-criticism. It's not as motivating as we think. 
And it's so good to hear you say that because next time I'm saying that, I can just come back to this recording and see and say, see, it's not just me. I'm not making it up. <laughs> the research supports that like we should be using these non-judgmental statements to encourage and support ourselves and having compassion. Absolutely. Because the constant judgment and depression, the sort of depressive rumination are really bad for your mental health and well-being. And like if you have a big task, you know, you have to do, it can be great to break it down into smaller chunks because it feels a lot better to say, I finished three things today than, oh, I still didn't finish the project. So like like cleaning three drawers instead of, oh, I, I didn't clean out my whole dresser. So the first just feels a little better. Yeah, that's such a helpful tweak that a person can make. So we have spot the success, which sounds like a great way to kind of retrain the self-criticism habit. Are there any other kind of quick and dirty things that we can take from your brain? Sure thing. Um, I mean, this one is really quick and dirty. It's a single breath in and out. And as you're breathing, you say to yourself silently, inhale, my friend, exhale, my friend. It's just one breath and you can take it anywhere and do it anytime. It could feel corny at first, but again, people have a positive response. You could call yourself my friend, my dear, my love, whatever feels kind of most consistent for you, or it doesn't have to be in English, obviously. And the idea is that you're building up this relationship with yourself as a friend and it's an embodied relationship. So you're a human person in this body you're going to breathe in some friendship and kind of have that marinate as the way you approach your life. And I like to start my day with this. Inhale, my friend. Exhale, my friend. If something's difficult, oh my gosh, this situation is not easy. I'm not so sure about this. This isn't my favorite thing. Okay. Inhale, my friend. Exhale, my friend. That resource of my breath and my friendliness is still there no matter what. Wow, this sounds great. And it does sound like something that can be implemented in a lot of different contexts. So it sounds like you can use this breathing strategy in a neutral situation of just like it's part of my morning routine, but also that like if you're feeling stress and tension, this can also be a way to take what I call like a mindfulness moment and just like breathe in this like kindness to yourself and breathe it back out. Absolutely. And I think it's kind of an appetizer if people are interested in more meditation, but you don't have to do it. You can just do this one breath, but it is a starting place for that mindful moment. And it might build your confidence too, that if you can tune into one breath, then maybe you could tune into a minute of breathing or five minutes of breathing. Because I know meditation can seem weird and scary, but this is kind of an easy path if you want to start out. Or if meditation isn't for you, then just do this single breath exercise and experiment. See if it helps. What suggestions do you have for individuals who really struggle with self-criticism and they're ready to kind of take this seriously and do a deeper dive? Well, I would think about it as training. Like you're training, you're not needing to get to a specific place, uh, you know, today, but you're conditioning some new habits and just like if you tried to do a new sport or a new set of exercises at the gym, you wouldn't expect it to have a huge transformation that day. You'd understand like, okay, it's probably going to take a few weeks of training. So because it's really easy to get discouraged when you're working against these strong mental habits, I really want to encourage 
patience and faith that the evidence is very clear that this habit of strong self-criticism can be changed with practice. And most of the evidence comes from practicing most days for like three to seven weeks. So you can expect to take a chunk of time if you're really trying to build a new habit of speaking to yourself, relating to yourself differently. And it might be weird at first. It might be uncomfortable, just like a new physical exercise would be uncomfortable. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're wrong or doing it wrong or that it's not going to work, but usually takes a little bit of time. Remember, you built up this habit of how you treat yourself over many years. Well, and I think it's super encouraging to hear that even though this might be something that I've been struggling with my entire life, that in three to seven weeks, not that it's fixed or gone, but that like if I'm practicing and getting new habits in place, that I can really notice that I'm starting to kind of break the hold between the kind of loving, kind self and the self-critical. You absolutely can. And you know, it might fluctuate. Maybe you'll try once and it doesn't feel like it's working. Another time it does. And sometimes people say, okay, I practiced for a whole month. I didn't think it was doing anything, but then I noticed I, you know, was different in my relationship with my roommate, or I didn't get as frustrated with myself or with the situation when something bad happened. So it's a fun experiment to do. And I think it does take a little bit of effort and openness. Our, our habits can feel comfortable. Sometimes people even say that it can feel like relief or control thing. If you blame yourself, then like you're still in control, right? Like things are going poorly because it's all on me. And if you start taking that away, then it, it is a little bit scary to think. Actually, a lot can go wrong in the world. There's lots of painful feelings. But there is this other way of managing things besides judging myself all the time. If someone wanted to purchase your book, what's the easiest way to go about doing that? Well, I think two ways are quite easy. You could do it on amazon.com. No problem. You can also get it directly from my publisher, Shambhala or Penguin. Um, and it's available at many other places as well. Thank you so, so much for giving us all of this information. It's been a delight to talk to you today. And I'm confident all of the listeners are going to learn something about self-criticism after this conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Johnson. It's a joy to speak with you as well. The Savvy Psychologist is a quick and dirty tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg with script editing by Adam Cecil. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. Our marketing and publicity associate is Davina Tomlin. And our intern is Cameron Lacey. Follow Savvy Psychologist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for this episode of Savvy Psychologist. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called The Anxiety Coaches Podcast, where the host, Gina, gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly, packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart and bring peace back into your life. 
So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into the Anxiety Coaches Podcast and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches Podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. Listen in and start your path to healing today. The Anxiety Coaches Podcast.com because healing begins the first time you listen.